Let's take our Bibles together and open with me, please, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Be thinking about the first 21 verses of this 10th chapter of John's Gospel. give careful hearing to the living, inerrant, infallible word of the living God. John 10, 1 to 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Amen. Let's pray briefly. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we call upon you again. And we ask that you would now bless the reading and preaching and hearing of your word, that you would make it 
a clear demonstration of the Spirit's power. Lord, that Christ would be exalted among us, that we would see his glory, and that our love for him would grow, and that we would desire to bow at his feet and worship. We pray these things in the name of the Good Shepherd Jesus. Amen. Well, that passage contains the third and fourth I am sayings of Jesus that are found in John's Gospel. Jesus has already declared himself to be the bread of life in chapter 6. In chapters 8 and 9, he said that he was the light of the world. Now in chapter 10, Jesus makes two related I am statements. He says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Jesus is declaring that he alone is the one through whom we have eternal life. He he is the door. And he is the good shepherd. He is the one who tenderly yet sovereignly cares for us and gives us all that we need. Now, both of these I am sayings picture Jesus as the shepherd and us as the sheep. Now, when we picture a shepherd at work, I think we can often have a sanitized, maybe romantic view of a nice man cuddling with cute little sheep. But in the ancient world of Jesus' day, the image of a shepherd would have conjured up images of authority and strength. Shepherds were some of the strongest men among their people. David is a prime example of this. We read of how he fought off predators to defend the sheep. To kill a lion would take strength and bravery. And so a shepherd was to be gentle and kind, but also strong, firm, and brave. In his classic work, The Land and the Book, William McClure Thompson wrote this, The eastern shepherd must never be thought of as a pale, sentimental figure, but rather one of immense strength and great authority. He is pictured in the Old Testament as the Lord over his sheep, and therefore the Israelites called their kings shepherds, David being the chief example. His word is not just the gentle voice, but the kingly command. His relationship to the sheep is not that of a feeble guide, but of an authoritative Lord. And it is the very strength of the character of the shepherd which gives the sheep security. But as we think about this image that Jesus gives to us of himself as the good shepherd, it can be an image on the surface that seems attractive. But we need to understand from the outset that this image is filled with truths that are offensive to the natural man. 
The idea that we must submit to the authority and rule of Jesus, that is a truth that is offensive to many. Moreover, the image of us as sheep is tremendously humbling. Sheep are dirty, smelly, and helpless. One writer humorously said that the existence of sheep disproves the theory of evolution. Because if it's the survival of the fittest, sheep would not be around. Sheep are vulnerable, they are foolish, they tend to wander from the flock, they will eat poisonous plants if the shepherd doesn't watch them closely. They will literally walk off cliffs, and if they fall over, they can't get up and will eventually die. Sheep need a shepherd. Without a shepherd, people are helpless. And that's why in the Gospels we read of Jesus having compassion on the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they were as good as dead without him. We need a shepherd. Without a shepherd, we will die in our sins. And even as believers, we are still sheep. We are helpless. We tend to wander both from Christ and from his flock. We do things that are harmful to ourselves and we often fall. And in our own strength, we are powerless to right ourselves. We need the good shepherd. And the beauty of this passage lies in how Jesus shows how he meets this need, how he provides for his sheep, how he provides a loving leadership that will bring us into eternal joy and peace. And I think given the betrayal that we're bound to experience when we commit ourselves to mere human leaders, whether it be political leaders or, or, or whatever it might be, here we are reminded we have one who is worthy of our deepest confidence and our heartfelt worship. Well, let's begin by thinking about the character of the shepherd. Jesus declares that he is the good shepherd. And there are numerous things that Jesus mentions about himself that demonstrate his goodness. He brings salvation to helpless sheep. He brings his sheep into pasture, giving them all that they need. He gives us joy. He gives us life abundantly, eternal life with him. His strength provides for us and eternal security ensuring us that no one will snatch us from his hand. We learn here that he speaks to us with his tender voice, a voice that he causes us to recognize and follow. Now this image of God as shepherd is a well-established 
image of God's care for his people. In Genesis 48:15, Jacob ended his life by saying, God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Jacob knew the care of this shepherd, and if you remember anything about Jacob, he was a thoroughly sinful man. And yet he reflects on the fact that in his sin and his wanderings from the Lord, he experienced firsthand the care of that shepherd. At the end of his life, Jacob marveled at the way in which the shepherd had pursued him and preserved him. He remembered how that shepherd had actually wounded him so that he wouldn't wander. David knew that same care, a care that is so intimately expressed in Psalm 23. This is the same shepherd who will lead us and guide us all the days of our lives. But the character of the shepherd is ultimately seen in the fact that he took the place of his sheep and became, in the words of Isaiah, like a lamb led to slaughter. Shortly before the cross, when Jesus spoke of his impending sacrifice to the disciples, he quoted the words from Zechariah 13:7, where God the Father said, I will strike the shepherd. The shepherd would be struck for the sins of wandering sheep like us. Thus, when Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, the resounding refrain is, I lay down my life for the sheep. Sinclair Ferguson wrote, the good shepherd would give everything of himself to provide everything for us. Now, more of that, more on that <clears throat> in a moment, but I want you to notice that throughout this chapter, as Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd, he does so partly in contrast with bad shepherds or false shepherds. He, he calls them thieves, robbers, strangers, hired hands who don't care for the sheep, those who destroy. And in this contrast, there is a warning being given by Jesus, a warning against false shepherds. If you look at the beginning of chapter 10, you'll notice that there are there are no connecting words between chapters 9 and 10, which is unusual. John usually gives us a transition, like now, after this, or this or that was at hand, or a few days later. But it goes right from chapter 9 to chapter 10. And what happened in chapter 9? Jesus had healed that man who was blind from birth, and do you remember how his shepherds treated him? They intimidate him, 
They revile him. We find in these shepherds no love, no mercy, no thankfulness for the healing. They intimidate him and eventually excommunicate him for his faith in Jesus. And you read that account, you find his, his parents are so intimidated and scared that they are, they are afraid to even speak. These are the shepherds he is talking about, false shepherds. The Bible warns us against false shepherds, and in doing so, it often gives us characteristics to look out for. There's many we could note, but the one overarching characteristic of false shepherds that we need to watch for, one warning sign that we need to keep our eyes open for, is that they will not lead you to Jesus, but they will steer you away from Jesus. Back in chapter 9, the Pharisees, the shepherds of the day, they were about themselves and their power. They didn't want to see this man devoted to Jesus, but they wanted him devoted to them. They pressed that man again and again to deny Jesus Christ. Now, it's not always that direct and obvious. I would submit to you that most times it is much more subtle. A false shepherd can lead you into deep theological learning. He can be a great teacher. He can be a smart person. But the question is, do they want you devoted to them? Or do they want you devoted to Jesus? In our age of teachers having a platform on the internet, it happens again and again where people become infatuated with a teacher, a false teacher, a false shepherd, and they slowly separate themselves from the church. They become sectarian, they become proud, they become arrogant. They demonstrate a lack of graciousness towards others. And I think we need to remember in the Reformed world, we are not immune to the cult of personality. We need to remember that it is not talent or intellect or charisma or speaking ability that makes a true teacher and shepherd. The criteria is that they lead you to the true shepherd, Jesus Christ. And we must always... Be on guard against that ever-present false shepherd that lurks in our own hearts, that says, follow your heart. The character of the shepherd, he is the good shepherd. Secondly, let's think about the sacrifice of the shepherd. As I mentioned earlier, the resounding refrain in this passage is, the sacrifice that the shepherd makes. Three times, in verses 11, 15, and 17, Jesus says, 
I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, in the Hebrew way of speaking, if you say something twice, it's really important and you really mean it. But if you say something three times, that means it is absolutely essential. And three times, Jesus emphasizes his sacrificial death for the sheep. And as he does so, he emphasizes that his death was, first of all, a willing sacrifice. A willing sacrifice. He said, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. Jesus' sacrifice was a willing sacrifice. And only a willing sacrifice can atone for sins. At the heart of sin is rebellious will. And that means at the heart of the atonement is the willing submission of Jesus Christ. Not only did Jesus die for our sins, but he willingly died for our sins. Jesus here is giving a preview of the cross when he would say, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus' life was not taken from him, but it was given by him. And in this we see the great love of the shepherd for sinners. The father did not have to twist the son's arm to die in our place. He didn't die as an unwilling sacrifice, but he died willingly, deliberately, with a focused precision and love. He laid down his life for those the Father gave to him. Jesus brings out a comforting truth here. He says that his sheep, he knows his sheep by name. And what an amazing and glorious thing it is for us to consider that Jesus knew your name, and he knew my name when he willingly and deliberately laid down his life for us. It was a willing sacrifice. But secondly, we see that the shepherd's sacrifice was a substitutionary sacrifice. He laid down his life for the sheep. The shepherd himself became the lamb led to slaughter. The shepherd himself would remain silent as he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The good shepherd stood in our place. And again, as Zechariah 13, 7 says, the father struck his son with the wrath that should have been ours. But that begs the question, 
what did that look like? What did it look like when the father struck his son as the substitute? Was the father angry with his son? When we discipline our own children, very often there's some righteous anger involved. You hit your sister. You disobeyed. But what did it look like when the father disciplined his sinless son? It's a worthwhile question as, as you look at the cross on which your good shepherd hung. Where he cried out as our substitute, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the Father's wrath for our sin was laid upon the Son of God, what was the nature of the relationship at that point? Verse 17 gives us the profound and glorious answer to that question. It provides beautiful insight into the love between the Father and the Son. Jesus said, For this reason... The Father loves me because I lay down my life. Sometimes we see our children go through hardship and trial and we see them endure it with grace and faith. And while our hearts hurt for them, there's something in us that says, that's my boy. That's my girl. As our hearts are filled with love and and pride as we see them endure suffering patiently. I think that's the closest that we can get to understanding what happened between the Father and the Son at the cross. As Jesus brought his obedience and his love for his Father to its full expression at the cross, laying down his life, as he became obedient to death, the Father's love for the Son likewise came to its full expression. Even as he struck his son, and heard that cry of dereliction, why have you forsaken me? It's as though the father was saying, that's my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus says, for this reason, the father loves me. Friends, this should cause us to see the glory of the cross because we actually heard it in Jesus' high priestly prayer as well, where we are assured that the same love that exists between the Father and the Son is ours as well. Jesus said in verses 14 and 15, I know my own. And my own know me, just as the Father knows me, 
and I know the Father. The same bond of communion, the same intimacy that exists between the Father and the Son exists between us and our triune God. I wonder if you've ever meditated upon this. Have you ever prayed and thanked the Father for loving His Son? Because if you read John's Gospel, you will find that there's much more about the Father's love for the Son than there is about God's love for us. At His baptism, John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. John 15.9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. John 17 you have sent me and loved them even as I even as you loved me because you loved me before the foundation of the world we should thank our god for this intertrinitarian love because if the father did not love his son and accept his work and his life in our place we could have never known communion with the living God. Even as the Father poured out his wrath for our sin upon his Son, he loved him. And God's love for you, your place of honor in his kingdom, is bound up in the Father's love for the Son. The Father loves you as he loves his own Son. And the hope of our security lies in that truth, that the Son loves the Father. That he loved his Father so much that he became that obedient sacrifice. And the Father loved his Son for rendering that sacrifice. And that same communion is ours in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have not left us as sheep without a shepherd. Lord, forgive us for wandering. Forgive us for not listening to your voice. Forgive us for so often refusing the green pastures and still waters that you put before us. Lord, we pray that we might see the glory of the Good Shepherd. And seeing his glory and his love and his character and his sacrifice, that with renewed commitment and the power of your Spirit, we might seek to follow him, knowing that he will lead us into eternal life with him. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of our shepherd. We thank you that he is now risen and he continues to shepherd us and guide us all the days of our life. We pray these things in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take our psalters and we'll respond to the word by singing uh, Psalm 23, Selection B.
23, Selection B, a psalm that Jesus no doubt um, had in the forefront of his mind when he said he is the good shepherd. And in this psalm we see a almost a geographical movement. We see the, the green pastures and still waters that the Lord provides for us in this life. We see the valley of trials that we often have to walk through, the, the ultimate trial of death, but then because the Good Shepherd is with us, we are assured that we will emerge victorious with him on the other side, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. So let's stand together and give praise to him. <clears throat> 